Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is technically, it is still Friday, September 28th. Very short. It's like 9.58, which is uh, really late. I... Oh, what a week. Uh, it's been really hard to stay positive. You know, I, I'm struggling. I really do not like school. I want to say this, though. I love recording this podcast on Friday nights because I know that there's basically nobody in my building. I know that everybody's gone out partying, doing whatever. I feel like I'm alone. And, and for whatever reason, that makes me feel comfortable. I like that. We're going to talk a lot about the Vikings and the Rams in this episode. I'm going to talk about some fun quarterback stuff. It's going to be a great weekend of football. I'm really excited. I'm going to make a lot of predictions and uh, just kind of share my thoughts as a fan of football. But first, I want to start with this. In a race, what is more important? If two cars are racing down the road, what is more important? Would you rather have a fast car or a great driver? I don't think you need either. I think actually neither is more important. You need both. You need both. You need a fast car and you need a good driver if you want to win a race. Because a great car is only as good as the person driving it. And you could put the best driver in the entire world in a really crappy car and he will not be able to win the race. My point is this, you need both. I watched the Rams and the Vikings on Thursday Night Football and Jared Goff was outstanding. The Rams quarterback, Jared Goff, had five touchdowns. He was 26 for 33 passing, had 465 yards and zero interceptions. And all year, I've been hearing people say the exact same thing about Jared Goff. Everyone says all of his success is because of his coach, Sean McVay. Jared Goff is only good because of his coaching. That's what people keep repeatedly always saying. I am getting so, so tired of it. If a a race car driver kept winning a race, you wouldn't always say, well, yeah, he's got the best car. He's still driving the car. He's executing. I'm tired of people saying this quarterback is only good because of his coach. You need both a great quarterback and a great coach if you want to succeed. The numbers the Rams put up last night, that was not all the coach. Jared Goff executed. You know that. I know that. Jared Goff finally played like a number one overall pick. It was fantastic. It was fun to watch. Yes, I admit it's easier to win a race if you're driving a Ferrari. In a street race, a Ferrari is going to beat a Toyota Corolla. So, I don't know. Like, like a Ferrari is a sports car. A Toyota Corolla is a dad mobile. It's a boring, regular sedan. We saw Matt Ryan win an MVP when Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator. And when Kyle Shanahan left Matt Ryan, everyone kept saying, it was clearly all the coach. People say, I've even been guilty of this. People say, Matt Ryan, all his success was because of his coach. And... Remember, Matt Ryan was working with a Ferrari. Matt Ryan was working with an elite offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan's a Ferrari in this analogy. Well, the Falcons brought in a new offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian. And Matt Ryan has not been the same since Kyle Shanahan left. He struggled. And this whole situation really fascinates me. Because Matt Ryan's now driving a dad mobile. He's working with a Toyota Corolla. It's not as good of a car. Same quarterback. The system is now different, and the quarterback's not doing as well. It's funny how that works. But what I'm just constantly annoyed with is people saying, all the success goes to the coach. 
All the success goes to the quarterback. You need both. When you have a prolific offense, if your quarterback is the most valuable player in the entire league, you can't give all the credit to the coach. You can't give all the credit to the quarterback, though, either. You need both guys to succeed. Because, again, what good is a Ferrari if the person driving it, the person sitting at the wheel, can't drive? If you have a Ferrari and no one to drive it, it doesn't matter how great the car is. And we recently saw the Seahawks play the Bears. The Bears struggled on offense. The Bears' play calling was incredible. The Bears were drawing up all kinds of wonderful play calls, putting people in positions to be successful. And yet the Bears quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, could not make plays. He kept missing easy, open passes. I'm just getting really, really tired of quarterbacks putting up these huge numbers and everyone saying, it's all the coach. It's not all the coach. You need both. Jared Goff, the quarterback for the Rams, is fantastic. Him and Sean McVay, the coach, they're partners. They need both of them. I mean, what would happen if Sean McVay, the Rams coach, had Blake Bortles as his quarterback or Dak Prescott? Yeah, I think Blake Bortles would be a little better. I think Dak Prescott would probably be a little better. But they would not have played like Jared Goff did last night. I don't think they have it in them. I can't say it enough. Stop crediting only the coach. And stop crediting only the quarterback. For an offense to be highly successful, you need both a great coach and a great quarterback. Because I repeat, this is my favorite thing in this whole segment. A Ferrari is useless if there's no one to drive it. And give the greatest racer, give the greatest driver in the world a car that's broken and he will not win a race. You need both a driver and a car. You need both a coach and a quarterback. Stops giving more credit to the coach. It drives me nuts. I'm tired of it. Okay, we have a great show today. I'm going to say a little bit more about the Vikings and the Rams. I'm going to explain why Sean McVay is a special coach. I know everyone always says Sean McVay is an offensive genius. I'm going to finally, I'm going to break it down in my terms and tell you if, whether you know football, have a deep knowledge or not, I think you'll understand why Sean McVay is a special coach and what he does differently than other people. I'm going to do a new segment called Pick 6 at the end. It's not original at all. I don't care. Uh, I'm going to pick six NFL games from this weekend. I'm really excited. There are six games I want to highlight and make predictions on. And I'm going to tell you my top five college quarterbacks. And first, before we do any of that, I'm going to tell you my two most fascinating games of the weekend. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Okay, I do this every Friday. It's my favorite uh, segment probably from Fridays. It's called Two Most Interesting Games. I call them snake charmer games. There's a snake charmer. You ever heard of that phrase? It's someone who, well, it, it's a hypnotizing person. And when I watch certain football games, I cannot take my eyes off them. Every weekend, I pick two games that are my snake charmer games or my two most interesting games, two most fascinating games of the weekend. I want to start with the Dolphins and the Patriots. The Dolphins and the Patriots is a wonderfully high-stakes game. I'm really curious to see what happens. It's in New England. And it's worth noting, the Dolphins are 3-0. The Miami Dolphins are 3-0 right now. The New England Patriots, in contrast, are 1-2. This is an AFC East divisional matchup. And um, I, I'm really curious to see what happens. Because here's the thing. If the Dolphins start the season 4-0... That's already a huge deal, but if they do it beating the New England Patriots, sending the Patriots record to 1-3, and three, that's a statement. And I think the Dolphins are a playoff team, and them beating the Patriots on Sunday would be a massive, massive deal to maybe be claiming the division away from the Patriots. Remember, the Patriots, 1-2. and two, If they go 1-3, and three, ooh, really, really ugly in New England. 
Another little storyline in this game is that the Dolphins stole the Patriots wide receiver Danny Amendola in the offseason. Remember, Danny Amendola wasn't getting paid enough by New England. He left, went to Miami. He's going to be playing this game. That'll be really interesting. And I just think the Dolphins are a far better team than the Patriots. They have a good coach, good quarterback, and a much better offensive line and a much better defense than the Patriots. The Patriots really only have a coach and a quarterback. And it's, I'm not really comfortable betting against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. But man, because um, I mean, they are the two greatest ever to play quarterback and ever to coach. But I think the Dolphins are going to win this game. I think the Dolphins are a far better team. I can't wait to watch. That's one of the most fascinating games of the weekend. The other most fascinating game of the weekend is the Browns at the Raiders. The Raiders, remember, are 0-3. Well, the Browns are actually coming off their first win in like 635 days. And, and first I want to say, how cool is this? When is the last time the Browns were an interesting team to watch? When were you, when's the last time people that were not Browns fans were excited to watch the Cleveland Browns? Has it been, what, 20 years? My whole life? I've never been excited to watch a Browns game before. This is the first time I'm like, ooh, I can't wait. I just want to acknowledge, that's wonderful. It's going to be Baker Mayfield's first start. I'm really excited to see what happens. Um, Again, that's why you want to watch this game is Baker Mayfield. There's two big storylines. This is Baker Mayfield's first start, and the Raiders are 0-3. Can the Raiders avoid going 0-4? Because I don't know that the Raiders can afford to go 0-4. This big offseason signing of John Gruden, their head coach, they gave John Gruden 10 years, $100 million. You can't start 0-4 if you're John Gruden. Not with Derek Carr, a great quarterback. Not after you traded Khalil Mack this offseason. It's ugly, man. And the Raiders cannot afford to lose this game. I'm picking the Raiders, but it's going to be really interesting. I think Baker Mayfield's going to put up a fight. Um, I am curious, though, with the Raiders given a week to prepare for Baker Mayfield, what's going to happen? Because Baker Mayfield came into the Jets game last Thursday, and no one really expected, no one knew what to expect from him. The Raiders have had a week of film to watch Baker Mayfield to see what he does. I, I wonder if Baker Mayfield's going to struggle. I'm hoping he doesn't, and it's, it is worth pointing out that Baker Mayfield has had 10 days to prepare for this game, more than most normal games. Um, but I'm really curious to see what happens. Does Baker Mayfield struggle? How does he look in his first ever NFL start? The Raiders and the Browns are one of the most fascinating games of the weekend. Now, Sean McVay is the head coach of the LA Rams. And people always say Sean McVay is an offensive genius. Ooh. And I want to tell you what that means to me. Because I watched the Vikings and the Rams on Thursday Night Football, and I saw an example of just how good and just how wonderful of a coach, an offensive coach, Sean McVay is. So this is the simplest form I can explain it. I'm going to start with an analogy. I'll be very quick. I don't want to waste your time, but then I'm going to talk about football. So growing up with my younger brother and I, Zane, we were really close, and we would play a game called Tic-Tac-Toe all the time. I'm sure if you're listening or watching, you've played Tic-Tac-Toe at some point. And the long and short is that I knew that if I could get my pieces on opposite corners of the, of the, the board, I could win the game. I, I knew that if I could get my brother in this position where I had an X in one corner and an X in another corner, I could always, 100% of the time, win the game. There's nothing my brother could do. Every option he had led to me winning the game. He could not do anything right. That is what Sean McVay does to defenses. Sean McVay is always called an offensive genius, a great play designer. And what does that really mean? What that means is that he puts his team in position to be successful. There was a play where Jared Goff threw a long touchdown to receiver Cooper Cup down the right sideline. 
I want to give you the behind the scenes to that play. Why was that play such an interesting play? And how does it highlight Sean McVay's ability? The reason why that was such a big play is that Cooper Cup was being guarded by a linebacker, Anthony Barr. Anthony Barr is an outside linebacker. He's largely a pass rusher. Usually Anthony Barr's job is to come get pressure on the quarterback. On this play, he was out of position. He was mismatched trying to guard Cooper Cup. That's not a great matchup. If you ever see Cooper Cup being guarded by Anthony Barr, you take that matchup every single time. But that was not an accident. Sean McVay designed that play to take advantage of that mismatch. See, in the minute you see that, you go, ooh, that's a touchdown. We have Anthony Barr trying to guard Cooper Cup. That's a touchdown. And Sean McVay, the Rams coach, designed that. He made that happen. The minute you got that, you knew, oh, there's nothing the Vikings can do to stop the Rams. Just like getting that position in tic-tac-toe, it's the same thing. It's a, there's nothing the Vikings can do on this play to succeed. The Rams have everything to lose. The Rams should beat the Vikings on this play. Sean McVay manipulates defenses. He will run one play to set up another. And then what he does is he lined up Cooper Cup on the left side, had everybody flood left while Cooper Cup came across the middle, and the only person left to guard him was Anthony Barr. That's all preparation. It's a series of chess moves. It's I do this, we counter, you counter. It's a bunch of counters. I make a move, I do this, so you do that. If you do that, well, I do this instead. Sean McVay is the smartest coach at making adjustments and countering what the defense does. So again, the reason why Sean McVay is so successful, he creates these mismatches. He creates these matchups. He founded tendency in film. He said, if we can get the Vikings in this defense, we can get Cooper Cup matched up on Anthony Barr, and Cooper Cup can beat Anthony Barr any time of the day, that'll be a touchdown. In fact, after the game, Sean McVay even said, yeah, Jared Goff and I talked about this. My quarterback and I, we talked about this play. We knew what was going to happen. And if you can get Cooper Cup lined up with Anthony Barr, all you got to do if you're a quarterback is play catch. Cooper Cup's going to be open. Just throw the ball, pitch and catch. It's a touchdown. That's what happened. So again, that is why Sean McVay is such a great offensive genius is he gets his team into position to be successful. He creates these mismatches where you have an outside linebacker like Anthony Barr trying to guard a really good receiver in Cooper Cup. That's a mismatch and it will be a touchdown almost every single time. Another thing that's kind of underrated with Sean McVay is his leadership. It's underappreciated is probably the better word to use. Sean McVay says all the right stuff after games are over. He, you know, he praises Jared Goff. He admitted fault. He said he wasn't good enough in the red zone. But here's the big thing that Sean McVay did in the postgame pre- press conference that I really, really loved. Sean McVay credited Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald, his two high-profile defensive tackles. He said they did a great job getting sacks near the end of the game. That's, that's a massive, massive deal. It's really smart. It's good leadership. Because Indomitian Sue has this big personality. And Aaron Donald got a big contract. He's a lot to try to live up to this year. And I, I really fundamentally believe that Sean McVay praising Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald was a smart, strategic move. It shows his leadership. He might be a young head coach, but he understands when to say the right thing and what to say and how to lead a group of men. And right now, I was really concerned about the personalities that the Rams have. I was like, you know, the only thing that might hold the Rams back is Jared Goff. Does not seem like Jared Goff is a limiting factor at all for the Rams. And then I said that maybe the personalities in the Rams locker room could prove to be an issue. Aqib Tlaib and Dominican Sue, Marcus Peters, all these big personalities. And it does not seem like Sean McVay is having any trouble handling them. 
In fact, Sean McVay is constantly saying the right thing, a bunch of calculated moves, a bunch of very specifically chosen words that are always the right thing to say to care for the big personalities in the Rams locker room. Sean McVay absolutely can handle the pressure. He's a great head coach. He's a great offensive coach. He's a great leader of men. Sean McVay is a real deal, and he's a, a, a wonderful wonderful thing for the city of LA and for anyone who's a Rams fan. Sean McVay is just a great, great coach. All right. Um, I made a mistake. I predicted the Vikings to beat the Rams on Thursday night football. Obviously I was wrong. Uh, The Rams won 38 to 31. And I want to discuss why I was wrong, learn from it and, and move forward. Never making this mistake again. I made an emotional argument. I said that the Vikings were just embarrassed by the Bills, so they're going to come back. And there's no way the Vikings will lose to the Rams after being embarrassed by the Bills so badly. I said that not only were the Vikings humiliated, they're going to bounce back. And then I said that there was a a problem with one of the Vikings' captains. Everson Griffin is going through a lot of stuff off the field. And I said these two combined things are going to bring a, a different level of intensity from the Vikings. And that was just wrong. It didn't happen. I thought maybe the Vikings' emotional stuff off the field was going to lift them up. And uh, it's just silly to think that way. I should have made a more analytical decision, and I didn't. Um, There was a moment in the game, it was when the Rams, sorry, it's when the Vikings scored, making the game 17 to 14. And when when this happened, I think it was like the fifth drive in a row, we had a touchdown or some kind of score. And when the Vikings made the game 17 to 14, I realized this was going to be an offensive shootout. And what happens in an offensive shootout, when a game is, 38 to 31, 45 to 42, high scoring, lots of points. When games are like that, it always comes down to which team can make a defensive play at the end of the game. Who can step up on defense first? And the minute that happened, I realized, oh man, the Rams are going to win this game. The Rams have better defensive personnel. If I had to pick who's going to step up and make a play, the Vikings defense or the Rams defense, chock full of stars, chock full of guys like Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald. I should have known right. Th- I should have known before the game happened. Yeah, the Rams defense is going to make a play. And if it's an offensive shootout, the Rams are going to win this game. Guess what? That's what happened. It's also worth noting. You know, I was concerned with the Rams secondary. One of the Rams starting corners, Akeem Talib, is going to be out for a couple weeks, probably until Thanksgiving. And then one of their other starting corners, Marcus Peters, was questionable. And you put two and two together. Akeem Talib is out. Marcus Peters might not play. Ooh, that's not good. Well, first of all, Marcus Peters played. He was fine. Um, the other thing is this, though. I completely overlooked Sam Shields. Sam Shields is a former starter from the Green Bay Packers who signed with the LA Rams this offseason. I just, I missed him. I forgot about him. I forgot. Oh, yeah, Sam Shields. He's a really good corner. He was been, he'd been a starter for years. And so, of course, he's going to plug right into the Rams defense and play great. He did. It was awesome. So, again, in con- for, to conclude, in conclusion, I made an emotional argument. I picked the Vikings because of emotion. I said, you know, they got embarrassed. They have this thing off the field with one of their captains. They're going to buck up and play really well. I was wrong about the emotional argument. I was also wrong about the corners. You know, Marcus Peters did play. Stam Shields did step up. And so moving forward, I'm going to learn from that. You know, the Rams are a much better team than the Vikings. Top to bottom, the Rams are a more full, better roster than the Vikings. And so I should have picked the Rams. I was wrong. Made a mistake. And I want to say this, man. I was... I had so much fun watching that game. You know what the, the Rams reminded me of? It's funny because they play in the same stadium too. The Rams reminded me of USC in their prime with Pete Carroll. 
Again, they both play in the LA Coliseum. There are stars everywhere. They're just dominating teams. You know, my, I'm not a fan of any particular team, but my dad grew up in Southern California. He's a huge USC fan. So my dad would always have USC football games on the TV growing up. I just remember vividly Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, guys for USC just dominating over and over and over again, holding up that crystal ball. I mean, man, uh, it was fun to watch. And uh, the Rams completely dominated. I know that the game was 38-31, but the way the Rams played last night was so... I mean, the Vikings didn't play well. The Vikings have nothing to hang their head at. The Rams just dominated. Oh, and by the way, remember I said someone was going to make a defensive play? It was the Rams rookie, John Franklin Meyer, who forced a fumble on the Vikings' final drive. That is why the Rams won. The Rams made a defensive play at the end of the game that sealed the Vikings' fate. So after losing to the Rams, after losing to the Rams, the Vikings are 1-2-1. One, one. one win, two losses, and a tie. And that's basically 1-3. One, one win, two losses, and a tie might as well be calculated as one win and three losses because at the end of the year when wins and losses are tallied up, a tie is just as a, it has just as much impact as a loss would. So the Vikings, I'll say they're basically 1-3. Should they panic, though? Should the Vikings be overwhelmingly worried? I don't think so. Yeah, the Bills lost was concerning. When the Vikings got blown out by the Bills, I said, ooh, that's not good. That shouldn't happen. That's really concerning. But the Vikings lost 38-31 to to the LA Rams, who I think are the best team in football. They have nothing to hang their head at. The Vikings should not be ashamed. I mean, the Rams are my Super Bowl favorite. And the Vikings held their own against a great, fantastic football team. Really, truthfully, the Vikings are exactly where I thought they would be. You know, I said the Vikings would struggle a little bit this year. It's, remember, it's their first year with a new offensive coordinator, a new, head, a new quarterback, Kirk Cousins. I, I admit, I thought they'd be 2-2 two and two or 3-1 and one at this point of the year, but as far as the way the Vikings are playing on the field, they're doing really well, having a lot of high moments, and they're also making some mistakes, and that just comes with a new system and a new quarterback. I'm not overwhelmingly concerned for the Minnesota Vikings. I think they're going to be okay. You know, things are going to even out. The, it's all going to work out. Remember, in their division, they're going to play the Lions again this year. They're going to play twice this year. They're going to play the Bears. They're going to play the Packers again. And who are you going to pick in a Bears-Vikings matchup? Are you going to pick Mitch Trubisky or Kirk Cousins? Because both teams have great defenses. I'm going to pick Kirk Cousins over Mitch Trubisky every single day of the week. Now, it's worth noting, in the next four games, the Vikings' schedule is not easy. I think they could be, be lucky to get out of there 2-2, two and two, but they could finish 3-1. and one. In the next four games for the Vikings, they play the Eagles, the Cardinals, and the Jets. 2-2 two and two is really my expectation, but 3-1 and one is not bad. And if the Vikings go 3-1 in their next couple games, they'll be 4-3-1. But then their next four games are even better. They play the Lions, the Bears, the Packers, and the Patriots. I think they can finish that stretch 3-1, and one, and then the Vikings are sitting at 7-4-1. And then for the final games, four games of the year, the Vikings will play the Seahawks, the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Bears. I think they could go 3-1 and one again in that stretch. And then guess what? The Vikings are 10-5-1. Not a shock. I think the Vikings could still very easily win 10 games, be a playoff team. I think the Vikings are okay. And even if the Vikings only win seven games, you never know. That actually might be enough to win their division. Seven, sorry, nine games. If they're 9-6-1, the Vikings could still potentially win their division because Aaron Rodgers is banged up. Do you really believe in the Bears? And I don't believe in the Lions, so I think the Vikings are okay. I wouldn't panic. 
I'm not concerned. I think the Vikings are going to be okay moving forward. They're a really good team that lost to maybe the best team in football on Thursday night. I'm not concerned about the Vikings at all. They're going to clean it up. They're going to make fewer mistakes on offense. Kirk Cousins is playing fantastic. Like his stats all year are incredible. I know he's he did well in garbage time against the Buffalo Bills, but early in that Rams game, Kirk Cousins was making throws. And I was like, wow, that window is really small, and he did not hesitate at all. I mean, Kirk Cousins looked overwhelmingly confident, so I am not worried about the Minnesota Vikings even remotely. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I'm going to talk about Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback. I'm going to share my top five college quarterbacks, and I'm going to do pick six. These are my six games I'm going to pick for this weekend. Um, I'm also going to discuss Ohio State and Penn State. There's a, I'm going to learn from the past. I'm going to learn from that Vikings and Rams prediction and tell you how that's going to affect my Ohio State-Penn State prediction. And finally, at the beginning of the next segment, I'm going to admit um, a big flaw of mine. I'm embarrassed, um, but I'm going to address it, tell you I'm going to fix it and do better in the future. And uh, I'm going to take a short break. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do. In fact, if you want to grow the show, if you want cool guests, if you want the show to stream on Twitch someday, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. Okay, we are back. Um, I want to admit a big flaw of mine. I'm a huge fan of sports radio. I always have been. I grew up listening to sports radio. I was kind of a junkie. Um, there's something I hated growing up. I hated when you would listen to a, a host and they wouldn't say the name of the person they were talking about. You would go for six or seven minutes and the guy would keep saying, you know, he needs to do this and he needs to do that. And I'm like, who are you talking about? I just would go nuts. And so I vowed to myself, I would never do that. I would always say the name of the person I was talking about. Um, I think I overcorrected a little bit. I've gone a little too far. Um, last Friday I did a podcast. I must've said Baker Mayfield's name, like, 500 times I just <laughs> I definitely um I, I went too far so I I admit I overcorrected I I got a lot of comments being pretty harsh you know like hey you can't I love the, the content but you can't say the guy's name 7,000 times um I admit I think it's very valid criticism I understand um and that's something I want to work on I want to do a better job at that but I also don't want to go too far the other way either I think there's a, a fine balance because what I just I don't want people to listen to my show and go who is he talking about? What's happening? Because and, and on the breakouts, it makes sense. But if you're listening on iTunes and I just keep saying, he, he did this, he did that, he did this. I, I hate that because then I have to rewind or go find somewhere else. To, like, who is, who is Zach talking about? I never want anyone listening to have to deal with that. So I admit um, most commenters are crazy and angry. However, that was very valid criticism, very fair, helpful criticism. So I'm going to work on that. But I'm also not going to go too far the other way either. It's a fine balance between not saying his name ever and definitely don't want to say his name 7,000 times. Baker Mayfield, I said that name like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. So, you know, somewhere there's a balance. I'll keep, get, I'll keep getting better and uh, I'll figure it out. On Saturday, it's tomorrow. It's, it's Saturday for most of you listening to this. Number four, Ohio State plays number nine, Penn State at Penn State in Happy Valley. I'm picking Ohio State to win. I'm learning from the past, actually. I picked the Vikings to win on Thursday Night Football, and I was wrong because it became an offensive shootout. And in an offensive shootout, it actually always comes down to the defense. Which team can make a defensive play first? 
I very strongly believe Ohio State, Penn State is going to be a high scoring game, 47 to 45 or 45 to 42 or 35 to 32. And the game is going to be an offensive shootout. There are two great quarterbacks. Trace McSorley is a great quarterback. Dwayne Haskins is a great quarterback for Ohio State. But this game is going to come down to a defensive play late in the fourth quarter. I think Ohio State's defense is better. I'm picking Ohio State to win because of their defense. It's a fairly close matchup. I mean, both teams have a great coach. Both teams have a great quarterback. They have great offensive lines and defensive lines. But the weakness for Penn State is their defense. Ohio State's defense is better than Penn State's. So I'm picking Ohio State. Ohio State's going to make some kind of play late in the fourth quarter. Maybe it'll go to overtime. I don't know. But Ohio State's team is going to make a defensive play first, and that will ice the game. Penn State's going to lose. Ohio State is going to win on Saturday against Penn State. Okay, many people ask me, many, many people ask me what I think about Ohio State's quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. I actually really like him. I, I want to go in-depth and tell you what I think about him. Um, I have had a hard time removing my bias. Remember, Dwayne Haskins is a Urban Meyer quarterback, and Urban Meyer quarterbacks are rarely successful in the NFL. You know, Tim Tebow was a bust. Braxton Miller's not a quarterback. Cardell Jones did not succeed in the NFL. He got cut. JT Barrett, who knows what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to be a great NFL quarterback. Chris Leak didn't work out. I mean, numerous, numerous Urban Meyer quarterbacks have not been great in the NFL. They do really well in college, but we've seen a trend where Urban Meyer quarterbacks put up this incredible stat. Uh, they put up a giant stat line and then get, go to the NFL and do nothing. So I don't know if Dwayne Haskins, Ohio State's quarterback, is going to be a good NFL quarterback or not. But I do know that he has probably the most potential of anybody Urban Meyer's worked with. I mean, he's only a sophomore, and over time, he's only going to get better. He's going to improve massively. There's a lot of good stuff that Dwayne Haskins is doing. First of all, I want to say I love the guy. I, I watch his interviews. I really like his maturity. He always says the right thing at the right time. He's incredibly well-spoken. I'm a fan of Dwayne Haskins, the person. He seems like a great dude who understands leadership and understands maturity. He's just a mature person. That's what I want from a quarterback. I really want to commend Dwayne Haskins. He's a mature dude. He gets it. He understands leadership. The second thing Dwayne Haskins does that I love is he just understands defenses. I mean, it's like he's playing seven on seven. He repeatedly makes great decision after great decision after great decision. He's like Ohio State's point guard. He just constantly is distributing the ball to great people on Ohio State's team. He does a wonderful job reading defenses. I like that. Now, here's something. I don't want to say that I don't like it, but there's something I still have not seen from Dwayne Haskins that I want to see. I have not yet seen Dwayne Haskins deal with pressure from the defensive line. He has not had a messy pocket once this year. He always has had a very clean pocket. He's like playing seven on seven. He has a time of his life. Dwayne Haskins is at nothing but time for Ohio State in the pocket. He's not moving around. He's not sliding up. And that's because Ohio State to this point has played Oregon State, Tulane, Rutgers, and TCU. None of them are ranked. None of them are very good. Um, and I just, it's not a negative. I don't want to criticize Dwayne Haskins for not playing great teams and criticize Dwayne Haskins for not dealing with a lot of pressure. But before I'm ready to say Dwayne Haskins is going to be a great NFL quarterback, I got to see him deal with a messy pocket. How does he handle getting hit as he throws? How does he handle having to move and slide and step up in the pocket? We don't know yet. But I also got to admit, you can't fault Dwayne Haskins for being really successful. He's executing his offense 
to perfection. I mean, he's got 16 touchdowns and one interception in just four games. That's wonderful. Now, there is one real legitimate concern I have about Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback. He doesn't throw a great spiral. And his accuracy is kind of interesting. I have a sneaking suspicion that he throws the ball to a spot rather than to a guy. And here's what I mean. You always say, throw the ball to a spot. And that does, in a lot of ways, make sense. When you throw a deep ball, you want it deep and out to the outside. But if you watch Dwayne Haskins throw a fade, he just throws to a certain spot every single time. He's kind of, I don't want to say robotic, it's not fair, but I think Urban Meyer teaches quarterbacks, this throw goes to that spot. This throw goes to that spot. This throw goes to that spot. And uh, I I will admit, I mean, Dwayne Haskins always hits the right spot. But when you're throwing to a five-yard window rather than a very specific target on the guy, it does make a difference. We saw Baker Mayfield dominate the Jets on Thursday Night Football uh, like nine days ago. And what happened was the Jets covered everything really, really well. But Baker Mayfield was not throwing to an area. He was throwing to a specific spot on the person, a really tight window. And to this point, I have not seen Dwayne Haskins throw the ball and do really tight windows. I want to see more of that because I think right now Dwayne Haskins goes, that guy's open for five yards. Anywhere in that general area is good. What we haven't seen from Dwayne Haskins yet is that window is really, really small, but I can still fit it. And we've seen that from Justin Herbert. I've seen that from Will Greer. Seen it from a lot of other quarterbacks. To this point, I have not seen Dwayne Haskins throw the ball into extremely tight windows consistently. Not that he's, again, he's not not doing it. He, sorry. <laughs> he's not doing it, but he's not had to. He's got guys wide open. And I just don't want to jump the gun on Dwayne Haskins. There's a lot of stuff I still haven't seen from him. That's not his fault. It's because he's playing lower level competition. We're going to learn a lot about Dwayne Haskins against Penn State. I think their defense is... They're not a great defense, Penn State, but they're better. It's a step up. And we're going to see a couple times Dwayne Haskins against good competition. How does he play? How does he handle tighter windows and getting hit as he throws? Um, my fear and my hope, sorry, my, my fascination is I hope the Penn State game shows us that. How does Dwayne Haskins deal with pressure? Can he slide in the pocket? Can he move around? Can he step up and throw into pressure, get hit as he throws, and throw the ball behind the blitz? Things like that. How does Dwayne Haskins handle a pocket that isn't clean? That is what I hope we learn from the Penn State game. I'm really curious to watch. I really like Dwayne Haskins. He's got a lot of positives. But again, we haven't seen him deal with a pass rush, and we haven't seen him have to throw into really, really tight windows. I want to see those things before I'm ready to say Dwayne Haskins is going to be a great, wonderful NFL quarterback. He's really talented, got a lot of potential. He's only a sophomore. But he does have the fact that Urban Meyer quarterbacks historically put up great numbers and then never do anything in the NFL. So I'm wary of Dwayne Haskins, but I'm also hopeful. I think he could be the best Urban Meyer quarterback in a long, long time. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to talk about my top five NFL prospects at the quarterback position in college. These are my top five NFL quarterback prospects in college. My number one prospect as from an NFL perspective is Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback. When I think of Justin Herbert, the word that comes to mind is polish. He just is a wonderful, wonderfully developed quarterback. He's got great movement in the pocket. And the other thing I want to say is that when you say a guy is open, the definition of open is different for Justin Herbert. For a lot of quarterbacks, open means there's no one around him for five yards. Justin Herbert throws into really, really tight windows. A guy can be step for step and he'll still throw it in there and complete it because Justin Herbert has a different level of accuracy and can locate the ball 
wonderfully downfield. So Justin Herbert is my number one quarterback NFL prospect in college football right now. My number two quarterback is Tua Tungavaloa. Tua is the Alabama quarterback. This kid's special. I mean, I know he's got great people around him, but his movement within the pocket, his accuracy is just wonderful. He's a big playmaker, kind of like Russell Wilson is. However, Tua is not married to making big plays. He doesn't just throw the ball deep. He doesn't just scramble around and throw the ball for 40 yards. Remember, I mean, Johnny Manziel was a big playmaker. He was not a tactical, precise quarterback. Tua has both. He's a huge big playmaker, but he also can be very precise and make great decisions. I think Tua is going to be a number one pick. I think he's a very special quarterback. I can't wait to watch him down the road, and I can't wait to see what happens to him. My third best quarterback prospect in, the, in college football right now is Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback. I had to make a decision with this list. You know, I, did I want to go with potential or polish? And I chose to go with who looks really good right now. And, and Will Greer has a limited arm. He's not, he doesn't have a bad arm. He's got a good enough arm to succeed in the NFL. But Will Greer does not have the biggest, most flashy arm in college football right now. You know, Drew Locke has this incredible, like a hose. He's got a great arm. But Will Greer's decision-making is what I'm really, really excited about. You watch Will Greer go from one side of the field all the way across to the right. He can go to his third and fourth reads consistently and throw there with accuracy. That's really rare. Will Greer's ability to process information quickly is next level. I think he's the third best quarterback in all of college football when it comes to as an NFL uh, prospect. I love, I love Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback. My fourth best NFL quarterback prospect in college is actually Steven Montez, the Colorado quarterback. I want to. I wrote this down. Uh, he dominated tonight. Where's Where's his stats? Something. He was. He had like. He just killed UCLA today. I don't remember what the stats were. I think he was twenty six for thirty three. Um, he didn't have a ton of yards passing. He ran for eighty one yards. Had a, a, a two rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown. Here's the thing. Steven Montez is incredibly efficient, and he has this great arm talent. He throws guys open. He does not throw to guys who are open by five yards. He makes tight window. NFL throws and great decisions. Um, you know, open for Steven Montez again is a guy who is open by two feet rather than five yards. That's a big deal. I also think Steven Montez has the second best deep ball in all of college football. His arm is huge, electric, he's precise. It's also, you know, we should say he does play with LaVisca um, Chenault, who is one of the, he's probably the best receiver in all of college football. He'll probably be the top receiver picked in the NFL draft. Um, so, you know, Steven Montez does that have, go, have that going for him. But I think Steven Montez is a quarterback to watch. No one's paying attention. No one notices Steven Montez. And he is making great decisions, playing really efficiently. And wow, his arm is, you know, he's actually, he's 22 for 30, 26. 22 for 26 today. That's what it was. But Steven Montez is just playing fantastic. He's lights out. He's a really good quarterback, doing a lot of great stuff. He's my fourth best NFL quarterback prospect in all of college football. You need to pay attention to him. Now, we're at a crossroad. We have one spot left in my top five, and there are three guys that are on my radar. Those three guys are Gardner Minshew at Washington State University, Drew Locke, the quarterback at Missouri, and Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback at Ohio State. I think all three are really good, but I'm going to go with Gardner Minshew. I know that's crazy. I know a lot of people are like, what? How could you do that? And it's not that Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke have done anything wrong. But it's about what I have not yet seen from them. All of their success has come in a clean pocket. Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins have not really been successful in a messy pocket yet this year. You know, Dwayne Haskins looked like he's playing seven on seven. 
I want to see how Dwayne Haskins handles pressure. How does he handle getting hit as he throws? How does he handle stepping up and moving around in the pocket? I haven't seen that yet from Dwayne Haskins. He hasn't had to do that. And Drew Locke rarely throws to his third and fourth three. Drew Locke is not necessarily working from one side of the field all the way to his other side of the field. I want to see that. I haven't seen a lot of movement from Drew Locke in the pocket. I haven't seen him step up and slide around, create windows. And so I like Dwayne Haskins. I like Drew Locke. But I'm going to go with Gardner Minshew ahead of them because of what we've seen from Gardner Minshew. Nobody knows who Gardner Minshew is. He's the Washington State quarterback. It surprises me I'm putting him in my top five. I understand. Um, It's a shock. It's against the grain. It's a little bit different. Um, But I encourage you to watch the Washington State-USC game footage. It's unbelievable. The things that Gardner Minshew does, the way he slides in the pocket and creates throwing windows, the way he handles a pass rush. He gets hit as he throws a lot. He has no fear either. He steps into his throws. When a blitz comes, instead of panicking, he throws the ball right behind the blitz. The things he does within the pocket, his ability to move around, create plays, and, and really handle a messy pocket, that is an NFL style of play that we have not seen from a lot of guys in college. A lot of guys, it's easy to be great when there's no one hitting you, when there's no pressure, when the windows are really big. Gardner Minshew is dominated as he's being hit. He's dominated when he has to get off platform and move around. That's rare to see in college, and I just don't think people are paying attention to Gardner Minshew with good reason. I mean, he's a fifth-year graduate transfer quarterback from Coastal Carolina. Why would anyone pay attention to him? I mean, he was going to go to Alabama and basically become a coach. I don't know that Gardner Minshew has many options in the NFL, but I do hope he gets an option because if he gets an opportunity, I think I could see him being very successful in New Orleans with the Saints behind Drew Brees. And I I do think that Gardner Minshew is going to get a chance in the NFL because of the things he does, handling pressure, stepping up, moving around, sliding around. His poise and polish is surprising. And uh, I'm not a homer. Like, I I don't, I go to Washington State, but go look, watch the video that says, it's called Luke Falk is not an NFL quarterback. You'll know. I'm not a big homer for Washington State. I'm just incredibly impressed by what Gardner Minshew is doing. He's doing stuff in the pocket that not a lot of other quarterbacks are doing in college football, and, and nobody's talking about it, and nobody's taking notice. And so I encourage you, go watch USC, WSU. Gardner Minshew is a, he's doing some stuff that's very, that's very, very special within the pocket and moving around handling pressure. Okay, so those are my top five quarterbacks, quarterback prospects in college football. Remember, again, it goes Justin Herbert, Tua Tungavaloa, Will Greer, Steven Montez, and then Gardner Minshew with honorable mention going to Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins. I'm not against Drew Locke. I'm not a hater. I just want to see more. I want to see how he does against better teams. How does he, can he ever get to his third and fourth read? I still haven't seen that yet. I I did the same thing with Justin Herbert. I said, Justin Herbert, I don't hate the guy. I just keep hearing he's the number one pick. I want to see it. I finally saw it recently against Stanford. And until I see it from Drew Locke, I'm not going to believe in him. I'm just, I'm sorry. But until I see it from Drew Locke, I'm not going to buy in. Okay. Whew, man. Okay, this is my final segment of the day. It's a very original segment. This is called Pick 6. I know it's the worst name ever. I don't care. I'm going to pick six games every Friday for the NFL week coming into Sunday. My number one pick of the week is this, the Bears versus the Buccaneers in Chicago. I'm picking the Buccaneers to win. I do not believe Ryan Fitzpatrick is done. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to beat the Bears. Both defenses are really good. The Bears defense can bring a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So can the Buccaneers defense. I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to handle the pressure better than Mitch Trubisky, the Bears quarterback. 
And remember, the Buccaneers had four turnovers last week and only lost by three points to the Steelers. The Buccaneers are not a bad team. They're going to clean up the turnovers. They will not have a game like that again. I am picking the Buccaneers to beat the Bears on Sunday. Now, the Dolphins and the Patriots is probably the most fascinating high-stakes game of the weekend. I am picking Miami. It's a tough one. I don't like betting against Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but the Dolphins are a better team. They have a coach, quarterback, great offensive line, and a defense. All the Patriots really have going for them as a coach and a quarterback, and it's proved to not be enough recently. They lost to the Lions, and it was ugly. So I think the Patriots' defense is a liability, and I think the Dolphins going 4-0, beating the Patriots, sending the Patriots to 3-1, and that would be a massive, massive statement in their division in the AFC East. I'm picking the Dolphins to win, and it's going to shock a lot of people. Now, the Jaguars and Jets. I'm picking the Jaguars. This is an easy one. It's a Jaguars defense against a rookie quarterback, Sam Darnold. I don't really think it matters how well the Jaguars quarterback, Blake Bortles, does. I mean, I, he lost last week. He does terrible, and the Jaguars lost when they only gave up nine points last week. But I would be shocked. I would be so, so surprised if Sam Darnold carved up the Jaguars and the Jaguars lost to the Jets. That would just really, really surprise me. I'm also, so the Browns and the Raiders are a great matchup. I'm picking the Raiders. The Raiders are 0-3. I do not believe they're going to start 0-4. You can't hire John Gruden and have Derek Carr and start 0-4 with a brand new season as a franchise, as a head coach. It's not going to happen. And the Browns are starting Baker Mayfield for the first time ever uh, in his career. He's a rookie quarterback going against John Gruden. I am picking the Raiders to beat the Browns. The Browns are coming off this incredibly emotional win, and I just think the Raiders are going to fight harder. I'm picking the Raiders to beat the Browns. The Saints and the Giants play in New York. I am picking the New Orleans Saints. Here's the thing. If the Saints are a playoff team, this is a game they must win. They have to take care of business against mediocre to below average teams like the Giants. Now, I am worried. It's, it's worth noting. I am concerned about the Saints defense. It's very possible the Giants go off and have a, a giant day offensively. Maybe Eli Manning throws for like four touchdowns. You never know. Odell Beckham Jr. could have a great day. Saquon Barkley could dominate. It's very possible the Giants win this game, but I'm going to pick the Saints because I think they're a playoff team, and a playoff team would win a game like this against the Giants. Now, the Ravens-Steelers is my sixth game of the week. It's happening in Pittsburgh. It's a toss-up, but I'm going to pick the Ravens. I think the Ravens are going to win. The Steelers are just dealing with too much turmoil. I think the Ravens have more stability. The uh, the Steelers' defense is a complete liability, and I don't know if the Steelers' wins are... I I think here's On Monday Night Football, the Steelers beat the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers were awful. They had four turnovers. That's not really a win you can be proud of. I'm picking the Ravens to beat the Steelers. It's going to be close, but I think ultimately the Ravens are a better team with more organization. I just think they're more organized. And so, yeah, I'm picking the Ravens to beat the Steelers on Sunday. That has been pick six, and that has been my show. That's all I have to say. Uh, I'm so excited. I really appreciate you guys. I love doing the show. It is 10.55 p.m. I'm sorry it's so late. I'm doing the best I can. College has been killing me. Um, But I'm really excited to get this out. I hope you guys enjoy it. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you guys have a great day. Enjoy all the games this weekend, and take care. I will see you guys again on Monday. But um bum bam, we are done. Bye.